in your Bibles, if you'd uh, turn to Genesis chapter 12, please. Genesis chapter 12. Today's encouragement, today's message, is a reminder for us that we can trust God. I know that we're in church, and so we just automatically assume, yes, we know we can trust God. Uh, but every once in a while, I think we need to have the encouragement and reminder of just how faithful, good, kind, and gracious, and very, very patient our Heavenly Father is towards us. And God has shown a great deal of patience in the life of Abraham, and we'll spend a little bit of time talking about Abraham this morning. If you please start with me in prayer. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your graciousness towards us. And this morning, as we, as we gather around your, your word and your truth, Lord, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be fixed on you. Lord, that within this time together, we would reflect in our life about our trust in you, about our uh, willingness to walk with you and turn from this world and be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, God, we face so many challenges, so many things that uh, really uh, threaten, challenge, tempt us away from trusting in you and trusting in Christ. God, I just pray that your spirit would now be at work in us and help us to hear from you and, and continue to work within us and transform us into your image. We thank you for today and time together in your word. We pray for a blessing and guidance now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In your Bibles, if you turn to, I said Genesis chapter 12, but the story actually sort of begins in Genesis chapter 11. And just jumping back a few verses into Genesis chapter 11, we hear about Abram's family and his dad. Terah has an idea. Terah says, let's go to the land of Canaan. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans, to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. They lived 205 years. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. Terah, whether from God or not, decided let's set out to the land of Canaan. They get to Haran, which is quite a bit north of the land of Canaan. And they settle there, and he stays there for 205 years. It's then the next story that sort of picks up, and we need to kind of keep going, and that says that the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I want you to pay particular attention to go from your family, your father's household, and your people. I am calling you, Abram, to go. And your response, the sort of cause and effect of this is, is that if Abram, if you will respond to this and go, here is what I am going to do for you. And God declares this blessing. And go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And, I will, and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on earth 
will be blessed through you. If you were to sort of earmark in your Bible the most important parts of the Bible, this would definitely have to be one of them. Otherwise, uh, really the rest of the Old Testament makes very little sense. But everything from this moment onward is Abram-centric. Like, it's focused in some way or some aspect of this blessing and what God is doing. From Abram will come his child Isaac, and from Isaac will be Jacob and Esau, and from Jacob will be the 12 tribes of Israel, and from the 12 tribes of Israel you get the whole rest of the Old Testament story. And so what you're getting right from the onset in Genesis chapter 12 is this promise and blessing that God is going to do something miraculous through Abram for all of creation. And the question might be is, what is really God up to? And when I teach, uh, uh, when I teach the uh, promise of Abraham uh, to college students, I talk to them about the four Ps of the promise. They are a people. God, he's going to make them into a great nation. He's also going to privilege them. He says, I am going to be your God. Like this is a privileged relationship. People, place, I'm privileged, place. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to care for you. In the land of Canaan, I'm giving you this land. And I'm also going to give you a purpose. People, place, privilege, purpose. Four Ps of the promise. And the purpose is, is that they are going to bless the nation. This nation that I'm forming is going to be a blessing to all of the other nations. You are going to be uniquely different, is what God is saying. And so there is a quiz afterward, and we'll see how you all do on the four Ps of the promise given to Abraham. And this is just sort of foundational things. As we read about Israelites through the rest of the Bible, it's important to know that a lot of this is riding on the four promises. Are they living into their purpose? Are, is their, their purpose is to be a blessing to the world, blessing to one another, live lives holy unto God, and follow his commands. And so when we pick up other parts of the Old Testament, you'll notice that oftentimes they are not living into their purpose. A lot of their relationship with God is kind of dependent upon are they in the land or are they out of the land? And when you pick up a book of the Bible in the Old Testament, you'll be like, well, are they in the land or are they out of the land or are Are they on their way out or are they on their way in? And so you're just kind of picking up the story. Wherever they are at, it's all sort of dependent upon this land. And are they in or out? Are they faithful within it or have they rejected God? And so the land plays a big part of it. You can see all of you are getting really excited about the four Ps of the promise. This is just sort of helping us as we read through the Bible. We think about the promises given to Abraham, promise given to Abram to be a blessing to the world. Now, Abram gets very specific instructions, right? I said, pay a little attention to this. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household. And then what does Abram do next? So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. My friend and person who knows Hebrew exponentially better than me, who taught me Genesis uh, for my Old Testament one class at Great Lakes Christian College, his name's Paul Kissling, and Paul says, verse 4, 
might be better understood if instead of the word and, we did a different conjunction, and that conjunction could possibly also be but, B-U-T, but. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, but Lot went with him. Abram gets this blessing. He says, go, go from here, leave your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Lot is a part of Abram's family's father's household. He's not a part of his household. Now the question might be, why does Abram do such a thing? And we all know about Sarai, his wife, who will one day be called Sarah. Sarai is barren. He has no children of his own. And so Abram, I think, right out of the gate is saying, okay, you're going to make me into a great nation, but as it is right now in this moment, I don't have a child of my own. And so he takes Lot and he says, come on along here, Lot, and, and come with us. And so they get into the land of Canaan, and he, he brings him along, and soon there's enough problems that they actually have to go down to Egypt. And Abram, well, he's already showing some signs of displaying that he's not fully trusting in God. Remember, the whole this story is about, can I trust in God? Abram is showing a tendency to maybe not quite fully trust God. And it's right on display in the very first moments of bringing Lot along with them. If you are going to have a great nation and pass this sort of like, your family is going to grow, you probably need offspring. And so there is this sense that let's bring Lot along as a sort of insurance policy to see how God is going to handle this. Whoever needs sort of insurance policies with God? Like, I, I trust you, God, but let me hold a little bit back for myself. I'm all in with you, God. I love you with all that I am, but please, you know, don't mess with this area of my life. Keep my money the way I want them. Keep, uh, keep this sort of, uh, you know, don't take everything, God. This, I said I'm all in, but just, you know, this part is all in. And I think Abram is starting out of the gate sort of, not sure of what God is doing. So he brings Lot along because he needs a sort of insurance policy, and they go into Egypt. And he's already sort of displaying sort of ineptitude, right? He says, you know, Sarah, you're a good-looking lady. You know, he's complimenting her, like, you are stunning. And husbands, go ahead and say that to your wives now, but don't say the next thing, right? And that is, when we go out, make sure you tell everybody you're my sister. Like, that would be, that's what, he, that's what Abraham does. And he said, okay, uh, you know, make sure everybody knows you're my sister, that we're not husband and wife. Somebody might kill me because you're so beautiful, honey. Uh, so it's a really awkward conversation. Try that at Valentine's Day. It's coming up, guys. Here's your warning. I believe it's February, February 18th this year, so... You know, okay, whatever. I'm off track already for a cheap joke. Anyways. And so Abram says, Abram says to his wife, you know, let me make sure everybody knows that, that you're my sister. And it causes this problem. And Pharaoh is like, man, she's beautiful. Brings her into his, uh, into his to be his concubine. And, and then all sorts of trouble comes. And then he realizes that, uh, he realizes that this, in fact, is Abram's wife, Sarah. He's like, why did you do this? Why did you, you know, and it's like, 
he goes, here's a bunch of stuff for you, and just, just get out of here. And so Abram, he really lucks out. But he's very concerned of himself, and he seems more concerned with Lot. Lot, they, the two of them part company, and Lot, he goes to, uh, he ends up getting himself in a lot of trouble. He gets captured, and Abram has to go and rescue Lot. Abram is still functioning like Lot is the line that's going to be blessed. He's not full. He's trying to take care of, of him more so than he takes care of his wife. They're like, yeah, go ahead. Go off with Pharaoh. He's like, he's worried more about himself and, and Lot than he is the one that the blessing is going to be joined to. And so there's this whole mess, and that's Genesis 12, 13, 14. In Genesis 15, we get, uh, we get this conversation between God and Abram. And Abram says to God, okay, at this point, it's Eleazar of Damascus who's going to be the heir to, my, uh, to all that I have. Surely this, is, is this the plan? I have no child of my own. And God clarifies, and he says, no, I, here, let's go on a field trip. Let's go outside, and I want you to look at the stars. I want you to look at all of the stars and start counting. And once you, you think you've counted all of them, keep counting because there's even more. And I want you to know that that is how great your offspring will be. Keep counting. Keep counting. I took my kids out to the ocean at the, in the middle of the uh, night, and I said, guys, look at the stars. And I told them this story, and they said, that's great, Dad. Let's go back to bed. I thought it was a powerful illustration. God did too with Abram, and I think there was a better moment between God and Abram than Jordan and his children, just a sneaking suspicion. But Abram then understands a little bit more clearly, I think, that this is going to be God's thing. But it's still this sort of wrestling match, I think, with Abram and God, and can Abram trust God? But it's in this moment that we see that Abram believed God, and it's credited to him as righteousness. Now, I would love to say that Abram gets it all figured out. What happens next? Very next chapter, this incredible moment. Well, before I tell you that story, I forgot one really important part of it. So he gives them this covenant, gives them this incredible blessing. He says, there's stars in the sky. And then, like, God says, okay, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, and a pigeon. It sounds like the start of a bad joke, right? And so God takes, uh, God says, all right, we're going to sacrifice them and spread them apart. So God, God instructs Abram to sacrifice the animals, and he chops them all in half and he spreads them out. I know, a really delightful picture. And what God is doing is he's making a covenant agreement, a covenant statement with Abram. And so what, what happens? He gets them all chopped in half except for the pigeon. He couldn't get a hold of it, I think, is what happened. I thought I turned it off, and it didn't. I'm sorry. Grief. All right. Just making sure you're all awake. I also give public speaking stuff. No. All right. So the animals are divided. Abram falls into a deep sleep, and the image that happens is there's a smoking fire pot that goes between the animals. 
in the ancient culture, when you made a covenant agreement, the two people who were making the covenant agreement would walk through the animal. And if you didn't make good on the covenant, what you were saying is, may we become like the animals that are divided. And so it was a way to really like bolster the commitment, right? Saying, okay, may we be separated like this if we don't follow through on the agreement. I think it would make for a really exciting wedding, right? Uh, no, right? And so as we look at as we look at that and what's going on then, with the smoking fire pot going through, it was the presence of God going through. And it was God saying, may I become like this if I don't fulfill this promise. So this powerful moment of Abram hearing that as many as the stars in the sky will be his offspring, God is saying it will be me who accomplishes this. If we go back to chapter 12 and we look at the blessing, how many times does God say, I will? It's five times. I will bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I will make you into a great nation. It is God who is going to accomplish this. And so when you start thinking about the question that I've asked you, can you trust God? Will Abram trust God? All of these sort of like little side things seem to be this challenge of, will Abram actually trust in God? And over and over again, he seems to really blunder through it. He cares more about Lot than he does his own wife. And Sarah, who's going to be the blessing, he sort of messes all of that up. And then after this incredible moment of sort of reinvigorating the covenant relationship, the very next chapter is Hagar and Ishmael. Sarah says, hey, this whole baby thing's not working. Sleep with Hagar, my, my maidservant. And it works. And it's this story with Abram is just this ongoing thing. Will Abram trust God or not? There's moments where he does. He's like, he believed him, and it's credited to him as righteousness that he believed God. He sort of partially gets it. He says, yeah, let's, let's go to the land of Canaan. And he goes, and he, but he doesn't, he doesn't fully go, and he doesn't fully get it all figured out. He brings Lot along with him. I want to think about Jesus for a moment. When Jesus invites us to be his disciples, he's very careful with his words to say that there is a cost to following him. And I want you to see that Jesus, I think, shares similar language as what God calls Abraham to when he says, I want you to leave the land, I want you to leave your family, and I want you to go to where I'm calling you to. I want you to hear Jesus saying to you today that when you are invited to be his disciple, he invites you to leave your family, your father and your mother, and to take up your cross and follow him. He says that to you when he invites you to be his disciple. And so it's really, it's really fun to look at Abraham's life and say, man, he really blundered that. And then what happens when we start bringing Jesus' words into it? That becomes a little bit more personal, doesn't it? And suddenly God is calling me to something 
that I don't know that I'm always fully given to. And I think we've softened Jesus a lot, and I don't want to sound like an angry old preacher, but I think we've softened the call of Jesus. Jesus is more than your best friend. He is your best friend. I mean, he's the best friend you could ever want. But he's also calling you to die to yourself. He's also calling you to pick up a cross and carry it daily. He's calling you to trust in him more than you've trusted in your family. He's calling you to trust in him with your whole life. With your money, with your heart, your attention, your goals, your aspirations. He, he calls you to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness in all that you do. Jesus, Jesus is calling us to more than what we often talk about. And so when I think about what, what do we need to draw from the story of Genesis 12 is, is I think we need to hear this. God uses Abraham despite Abraham. Abraham's lack of trust, God makes good on his promise. And what I want you to hear today is, is that no, none of us here are batting a thousand percent when it comes to trusting in Jesus. You know, none of us are world-class hitters here. We're probably all batting about 250 when it comes to trusting in Jesus. Yet, Abraham was probably batting a hundred. He didn't do that great. Over and over again, he's like, yeah, that sounds good, God. Oh, let me bring Lot along. Oh, that sounds good, God. Let me not take care of my wife, Sarah, and do this stupid thing. Oh, that sounds good, God. Let me, let me do this thing with Hagar and figure out my own plan. Abram is a control guy. He thinks it's within his capacity and his control, and it hasn't gone that well. But who's the one who's making the covenant? And who's the one whose strength it's in? And who's the one who has the power to fulfill it? And so it's a big invitation for you to hear today the word that we all need to hear. You are not miserable failures in light of the gospel. You are not that. You are people who are saved by the grace of God. And God is at work in your life, and you can trust in his grace. That despite our failures, despite our misses, despite our lack of fully trusting in God, he is still at work and powerful enough to accomplish his purposes. The story of Abraham is not a story of how great Abram is, but how great our God is. A story of a person who has blundered every step in the journey, but somehow through the grace and power and miraculous work of God, he was able to redeem and save and bring about a people who glorify him and his purposes. Paul says to us that if we are in Christ Jesus, we are a new creation and we have new life in him. And he says to us that if we are in Christ, that we are joined with Jesus, that we are joined with God, 
that we are joined as heirs of the promise given to Abraham, that you are neither Jew nor Gentile, that you're neither slave nor free, that you're now neither male nor female, but we are all one in Christ, and you are all heirs to the promise given to Abraham. Genesis 12 is your blessing, that you are a part of the family of God, that you are a part of what God was doing way back then and he, he has accomplished now. Despite our failures, despite our rejection, despite our lack of trusting in God, God is faithful and merciful. The story of Abraham is the story of God's power to use broken people to accomplish his purpose. You may not bat a thousand percent on trusting with God. There may be moments in your life where you're like, wow, I really blundered that one. I didn't know what you are doing, God, and I didn't know that I could trust you, but now I see that you've been good and you've been faithful in all of this. Have you ever been in those moments in your life where you think you're in the thick of it and in this moment all that is there for you to do is to try and control it as much as possible? Who has control issues here? Every one of you should be confessing to that. We live in a world where we have control of just about everything. Right now, I'm delighted to tell you that, uh, that we have the most cutting-edge thing that has ever happened in the history of humankind and the greatest technological advancement that we could ever hope for. White Castle is coming out with robotic workers. You can get the fastest sliders this side of the Mississippi at White Castle. We have control over everything. We can get exactly what we want when we want it. We can order whatever. I'm sorry, that was a stupid joke, but I've wanted to say it all week. And it, we have control problems. We have control problems because we have a lot of control. We can, we can get what we want when we want it, or we used to be able to do that anyways. We have access to more information than we've ever had access to. We have control problems because we have a lot of control. And I want us to hear from Jesus. I want us to hear the agreement and the covenant that he makes with us. With all who would choose to follow him, and it's a thing that we celebrate every week, and it's a reminder of the covenant that he makes. And it's in the Lord's Supper, and it's in this moment that he's with his disciples, and he takes the bread and he breaks it. He's making a covenant, and he's dividing the bread, and he's saying, this is my body for you. He's coming back to Genesis 15, and he's saying, this is my blood poured out for you, and this is the covenant I'm making with you. And everything points to the cross of Jesus Christ. That if you're wondering, how do I get through this? It's not through your control. It's through trusting that God is worthy and he is working miracles in your life and he is the one at work and he is the one who's going to accomplish it. And he's looking at his disciples and he's saying, this is my body poured out for you that you would be forgiven and you would have life in my name. It is the power of Jesus why you are saved. It is his grace at work in your life. 
And it is not you managing things. It's not you in control. It's not any of those things. It's you saying, Jesus is Lord and King. He's the Savior of the world. And I give him everything that's in me and all that I am and all that I have. And you're not going to do perfect, but you're going to do part of it. And God works with that. And God works with you. And there's grace for you. And so you might look at Abraham and you think, man, he was credited to him as righteousness and he was like the most important figure in all the Old Testament. Where do I fit in and all of that? All of that was for you. All of that was for you so that one day you might give your life to Christ and be a part of the family of God and be a, a receive the blessing that says you belong to God and you are his child. So today, I just want to remind you that you are blessed with God's grace. He has poured his life out for you. And you have life in him. And I hope, I hope that that just gives you this little glimmer of encouragement that says, today, I can trust in God. Today, I can trust him with my family. Today, I can trust him with my finances. Today, I can trust him when I go into the grocery store. I can trust him when I go to work. I can trust him when I'm spending time with my enemies. I can trust him when I'm having a hard time. I can trust him when it doesn't feel like there's an outcome that will ever work out. I can still trust him because God is faithful and God's grace is with me and he's blessed me and I'm a part of the promise of Abraham that was centuries ago and it's still true today that I have life in God because of Jesus Christ. I can trust God, thank you, and we, we really do wrestle with trust. We really do face trials and temptations and difficulty. We, God, don't always know. We don't always know what's next, and we are troubled by that, and we don't know the outcomes. We don't know how to work things out, and God, we want control. We want things to go our way. We want things to be based on our outcomes. Let us set aside all of the control. Let us lay down our lives and trust in you. Let us take up our cross daily. Let us trust and know that you are with us. And thank you for the promises. The promises of your care and your love. Lord, that it is you that will accomplish all of this. We give our trust to you now. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. What would a congregation be if they believed this to be true? What would happen in a congregation if they said, we trust in God and we are blessed through him? Would you dream? Would you hope? Would you think again about what God is doing with the Etna Green Church of Christ?